to Converge Coffee with Sean Sullivan. I am here with Sharon Park. She is an expert at building profitable ad programs for businesses. She has over 10 years of experience. When she was at Google, that has allowed her to understand businesses from startups to blue chip companies and brands like Tiffany's, Nike, Apple, Samsung, Salesforce, and Adobe. She has started her own company, uh, Sage Digi. Is that correct, Sharon? Yes, that's correct. Just making sure on that. She has some very notable um, accolades in her background. From 2009, she architected a remarketing strategy for the Obama presidential campaign, resulting in historic donations and return on investment for the election. In 2012, she helped and sold, delivered two Google patents, and she remained focused on developing their ad technology to solve the marketer's problems. And also in 2012, she architected and launched a campaign that served billions of impressions per day for GM or General Motors during the Beijing Olympics. It remained the largest remarketing campaign in Google history. In 2018, she left Google and started and launched Sage Digi with the vision of building an agency or an ad agency that could address customer pain points better than other players in the market. And there's all these other accolades that we have and we can go into deeper. But Sharon, thank you for being on the show. Thanks so much, Sean. It's great to be here. So I always like to ask guests when they first start is origin stories. I love DC, Marvel, like we all love, like in some form of fashion, comic books, depending on how deep you want to go to. But I love origin stories in the sense of like, you know, why did you start um, Sage Digi? Hmm. In some ways, the origin started when I was a child. I'm a born hustler and I am a violinist. I had my mom take me all around the Bay Area to hustle and make tons of money as a small kid playing violin. And I just really grew hooked on being an entrepreneur from maybe five years old onwards. I think my first paycheck was a Nordstrom gift card for playing violin at the store. But, um, you know, after working for Google for so long, I just saw so many agencies and what they do for customers. And I honestly believe that I could do it much better, offer more transparency to customers and solve more problems in a holistic way and not only solve their ad problem or their Google problem. Like they're all interconnected at this point, marketing problems are. So I thought I could do a better job and I gave it a go in 2018 thinking, well, if this doesn't work out, then I'll just go work for like some other giant corporation, but it worked. And so here we are five years later. But you built the proof in the pudding already. Like you already built things within Google saying, hey, I've got these two Google patents. Like you're, you're a hustler, but you also think of the end customer um, of what, how they want to feel and how, what they want to do with different things too. And sometimes people want to jump right into like the technical, like let's just execute versus like, let's step back and like, how is this going to serve? What's the strategy? What is the customer journey in order to really understand the full business problem? Mm-hmm. And you know, I think a lot of people kind of want to know in the sense of, so even taking a step further from the strategy into kind of the process, I think this is where in the process age of not relying on tools as much, but understanding the processes in order to get to the automation and toward, in order to get to the AI. And so how do you architect a full funnel advertising strategy for B2B companies? Because I don't see a lot of people really, either if they said they did it, they're not doing it well, hmm. or they haven't even thought about it. Yeah, B2B is fairly straightforward, in my opinion, because that's all we do day in, day out. But really, to in order to architect a full funnel marketing strategy, we got to get the foundations of data correct. 
today, all of our marketing tech relies on the data that we feed it. And so getting your first party data, whether it's through, you know, Adobe Analytics or GA4, getting that data cleaned up, tracked correctly, segmented correctly, filtering out users from new prospects, like all of that infrastructure work has to be laid correctly. 100% of businesses that I've encountered in my 17-year career do it incorrectly. So it's worth investing a lot of time and resources in getting analytics right, at which point a sophisticated technology such as Segment. Um, Segment is a great software to use in order to measure all the different types of audiences that are coming to your website and then leveraging that to target your customers and give them value every step of the way that you reach them. Uh, that in a nutshell is what we do. So I, I feel like you're going to go after Twilio next. <laughs> um, but I, I, I actually have you segment like their CDP models and things, but you're bridge gapping that just implementing and just like easy implementation. You're providing the necessary processes and the business mindset of going in and saying, okay, this is what I faced before in my 17 years. And this is how to properly set things, data flows, connections in so that the CDP, whatever platform, it could be an ABX platform. It could be something mm -hmm. like that where you're centralizing the data. The data is just going to be that much more clean and fresh and easier to operate. Yeah. Like just speeding up the operations of, and that instead of like in, like connecting in and then having to go back and re-fix everything um, over years and years of problems too. I mean, that's, that's what you're, that's what you're fixing, right? Yeah, exactly. So getting data wrong is a billion dollar problem because um, you might think that you're saving a little bit of money by moving faster in your GA4 implementation or, you know, not segmenting everything from, from the get-go. But what you're doing is creating a platform with either noise or incorrect data and teaching the ads algorithms that you're using to optimize off the wrong thing. So that is low conversion rates or a lot of no-shows in your demos or like just an ineffectiveness that is very, very costly. So focusing there for a very long amount of time, making sure it's done right, testing it, setting, setting more data, data sets through your platform and making sure that your model is working. No model is perfect, but it needs to be working. So what you do is look at a segment of data where customers who bought, you look and backtrack and see like, okay, why did these customers come in? How did they get here? And is there a correlation with a new model that you're building? There should be. And if there isn't, then you try a new model and tweak a new model. But spending a lot of time there is super, super important. At the end of the day, most CMOs, most marketers are liberal arts majors or social science majors. So we do not have that fundamental understanding of data flow, data science, and statistical relevance. So doing this in concert with your webmaster and, uh, and a genius at analytics and a data scientist will get your foundation set rock solid. Then from there, we take over. And then, you know, you can extrapolate all your data and, you know, target audiences the right way. I would even add even one more in there. Um, people who think like engineers. Yeah. It's just, I mean, that's what, I mean, data scientists do, but sometimes they might be a charlatan and they're like, well, this is what we can do with data. Like versus like someone who's an engineer of like, even going back to like GM or something like that. This is how you build a car. This is how you do it. This is how you repeat it. This is how to make tweaks in order to make it better. 
and just builds that iterative process of like understanding, like how do you bridge that creative with the actual data or the construction as well as thank you for using correlation correctly and versus some people use causation a lot. And I'm like, why are you saying causation? Because we don't know directly what caused this because pixels have been deprecated and removed and different things like that. So what's kind of the correlated, like it's almost the scientific method going back to like middle school and high school. Like what's the scientific method of how do we, how do we test things? Exactly. Exactly. So a big thing is, you know, you're, you prove something, you're an entrepreneur. You went, you're like, Hey, I'm going to prove that I'm going to start this company and you're doing right with them. And you're, you're going to hire like your 11th employee. So that says a lot in the sense of going from big company to starting your own business. That's a huge, like big trajectory, big transition and everything. So how do you leverage customer experiences for your clients and even your, like your clients' audiences, but also your clients too, like directly? Like you mentioned a, a reducing churn story that was very interesting in our green room kind of conversation there. So I just wanted to kind of put that together because there's been a lot of people I've noticed that are leaving big companies now mm -hmm. being let go or they're getting their severance and leaving and they're starting their own thing. Is there any like, again, but not pun intended, but sage advice um, to offer them and offer this audience of how to how to bridge gap uh, their knowledge and experiences, but also enhancing customer experiences. Sure, sure. So I'll start with saying, you know, this is a core Google principle, which is please the user, and all else will follow. You. All all else will follow. You must focus on the user at all times, or focus on the customer at all times. They will teach you what you're doing well and where you're messing up. So keeping that, you know, as the number one core principle of my business playbook, it's like talk to the customer or have somebody, you know, who's not myself, uh, somebody like a researcher, ask them, why did you decide to buy with Sage Digi? And through that process, what I learned over and over and over again is that, yeah, we, we trust that Sharon's going to get the ads right and the Sage team is going to get the ads right. That's like, no question. But the strategy is the most important part for why we partner. So in that, you know, theme throughout all of our customer interviews, I was learning a lot. Like, what do they mean by strategy? Because that's a loaded term in the corporate world. Uh, it could mean a three-pronged approach. It could mean like a two-slide two deck. It could mean, you know, A through Z. So we did a deep dive there. The year we did all of our customer interviews was a tough year because the VC firms were cutting funding. So it's like last summer, last fall. And um, the market was shaking. Interest rates are climbing. You know, Silicon Valley Bank is collapsing. Like, so a lot of our startup customers were cutting ad spend. 35% of our customers churned that year. And it was disappointing because sales teams were doing a great job, but seemed like the business was flatlining. Um, and so focusing on what the customers said was valuable to them made a huge difference. We completely changed the way we do our weekly calls. We have a one-hour strategy sessions directly with the CEO and chief marketing officer talking about what we see is like the biggest opportunity for them to take advantage of in the digital space and getting out of those data slides on weekly performance, week over week improvement, getting out of that as quickly as possible in the weekly call and talking more about the future. What do you have in your October launch schedule? What are you going to do in November? 
Where do you see the biggest slowdown in the holidays? In B2B lead gen, like after Thanksgiving, like a lot of things die down, way down until February. And so is that appropriate to cut back spend and save a little cash and go harder in Q1? Um, having those types of conversations have really impacted the business. And so our churn rate came down from 35% to 5% this year. I love that. I mean, 5% is, I think, unheard. It's nothing. 5% yeah. is a noise in, in statistics. It's nothing. Yeah, it's like a deviation. Everybody says like, there's a 5% deviation with this. It could go higher, it could go lower. You never know. Yeah. Um, I love that story. And I love how you 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 broke things down as, I think we get, I hear a lot of CMOs on LinkedIn and different things like that, where they talk about this like analysis paralysis. And my, my first question, and you, and you debunked it in the sense of, Make sure that you have right deep clean data going in versus because there's a lot of noise. Like, how do you reduce the noise? You build out focuses, you build out segmentation, you build out things going into it rather than trying to clean it up and figuring out how to retool everything. But the other thing that you mentioned too is like having those those one hour strategy calls of thinking ahead versus like, let's just stay in the slides and this. And because there is an art of storytelling within slides and there's only like a, a few people I've seen on LinkedIn that actually articulate data storytelling. Um, and they're really good at it, but for the majority of us, um, can get like, we can lose people, like we can be too detailed or we can be too brief and like, what's that little, like, what's that in between for each level. But you kind of broke through that with just having that handed conversation of like, what, what can we do? What are the actual things we can do? And then you showed it 35 to 5% turn coming churn. Like, I think most, like most B2B companies are doing the opposite. They're going from five to 35%, um, just because they're not understanding how to be transparent and how to like move the customer along in the process. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. It's like, okay. Is there like another, like, I know the ad world has been hit, like rocked with the pixel stuff and everything else. And even just people's expectation of what, what are ads? Like what can ads do? Cause I feel like I've seen a lot of, um, there's some companies out there that are like, they're moving away from ads and they're talking about like dark social and all this kind of stuff. But I feel like there's, there's still a lot of value in ads because there's a misinterpretation of the expectation of paid advertising. Are there any stories that you have on that? And like, you're in your mind where you're like, yeah, like this is, this is what, this is what you can, this is what you can kind of expect if you do these things? Oh, absolutely. So let me tell you a story. One of our customers, they're a SaaS, a high value SaaS software company. They have thousands of enterprise size customers and they need to grow. When we came on the scene, we came, looked at their ad setup and saw that there were 10 different conversion events pointed to their ads program. And in some way, it makes sense because those 10 conversion events represented every single stage of the sales funnel. So they go, it's important to share this back with ads. It is and it isn't because that's a lot of noise. And the way that Google works is that they will take your conversion event pixel and look for more people like that. And so if you have 10 different conversion events happening, then Google's like, I guess I'll optimize off of all 10. It depends on how you set it up. So we had an economic conversation with the CEO, no slides, like, are, is your ads program profitable? And he said, I think it's about one to one, but the data said that it was three to one. In this situation, the data noise was immense. 
And so we had to decide that eight or nine of those conversion events had to be deleted from the platform. That's number one. Number two, what we did was reteach the Google Pixel the right audience to go for. And the right audience is your contract signers, not your lead gen form fillers, not the people who took a free demo or a free trial. Get rid of all of those for now. We want to point Google in the right direction, which is these are the people who signed with us. This is the keyword they searched for and marched down all 10 steps to get to the paid conversion. And what we really care about the most is cost per contract, not cost per lead, not MQL, SQL, all of that. All of that is all vanity. At the end, as a business owner, you want to know how much does it cost to acquire a customer and is that profitable, yes or no? So in that way, we really did revolutionize their ads program. In the short term, their cost per lead skyrocketed, which, you know, can cause some panic in an organization. The salespeople were freaking out because they had less leads to address. But it turned out those leads were slightly better quality. They could focus more time with each lead and handhold them down through the process. And the cost per contract fell by 90%. That's, it's just a brief story about how powerful data could be right now and what marketing could really do for you. So that's like demand gen or growth marketing, performance advertising. But the number one thing that you can really do with ads, and most B2B firms don't do this very well, is to focus on the middle of the funnel. Fill webinars, use ads to, to market to people who are decision makers. Because in the B2B space, 90 to 98% of folks are not ready to buy. It's kind of like selling an Aston Martin. People will only do it once in their life, but they're all over in those James Bond movies. James Bond drives an Aston Martin, and they want you to know that for the day that you become James Bond rich. So it, we, we need to keep educating our clients, right? And in order to do that, you can use some marketing budgets. Use LinkedIn. It's a very powerful platform. Fill classes and have them listen about your expertise. What kind of problems do you solve? And you yourself shouldn't say that. Like, you got to get a customer to come tell that story. And that peer-to-peer learning atmosphere is a rich one. That's something that I've seen a lot of B2B firms miss out on. But that's another thing that um, ads could do for your business. I'm just thinking about this. Um, I mean, you unloaded a lot of very like, like things that I try to preach when I walk into companies and different things on my side with kind of day, data, go to market and that kind of stuff. I'm saying if someone is listening to this um, and if they don't hire you, um, that's on them. And let's just put it that way. <laughs> well, thank you. I, that's, I mean, that's what it is. And, and actually I'm, I'm facing similar things in the company that I'm, I'm, I'm help like working in and helping out with mm-hmm. because I noticed like there's a lot of, there's a lot of tools out there that really help with bottom funnel. And there's a lot of tools to help kind of with brand awareness and top of funnel, but there's nothing of uh, trying to understand middle funnel because middle funnel is that connection in between. It's where you can group a lot of prospecting and kind of nurturing and building that uh, pre opportunity to move it into opportunity, but even understanding how to move that even quicker in deal sizes or your average account value going up. People are just not tying that. And, they, and especially with like in RevOps communities, there's a lot of 
VP of sales or different things like that. And they tack it with headcount capacity versus like, no, look at the ad spend and look at like what the efficiencies within that and what you're targeting, because then it's good. It's just going to help with bottom funnel metrics. It's going to help with sales metrics. It's going to help out with a lot of things of that misconception of like, we just run an ad and we're not doing the right thing versus like you articulately just put out, like remove these conversions, try this, deal with this. Yes. There's going to be some blowback in the metrics, but that doesn't mean that they're not less quality leads. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Absolutely. And when you swim up funnel and do mid funnel marketing, you're building your pipeline for next year. That's really what marketing is supposed to be doing. Building pipeline for this year is a salesperson's job. And anyone who says different is maybe a lazy salesperson, but your pipeline this year is your salesperson's job. You have a lot of tools. You have Apollo.io, Zoom Info. You have, you know, like every single tool on the planet that says who's in market and who's not. So that should be taking care of this year's leads. Any demand gen is just gravy. We shouldn't well, be depending on that ad spend. Leads too, like you've mentioned, I'm not going to name the systems, but I've worked in some of those systems. There's a difference between cleanliness and freshness mm-hmm. where everybody's like, oh yeah, they're clean leads. And I'm like, so why is the system asking me another tool so I can clean the leads? Or, yeah, this is a whole other episode because yeah, I'm a trained... I'm a trained hunter and I'm a killer out there. Yeah. So we need to talk about sales, sales too, and what we're asking our sales teams to do because they should be getting their own leads. Exactly. Or having at least complete information where they can go in and they can sort out, like have focuses of what to sort out because that's what I'm noticing is like, hey, here's all these leads. And they're like, I don't know what to do. And they're just building, it's like cyclical traction and not getting anywhere. And they're trying to like move the whole haystack. And I'm like, no. Mm-hmm. Focus on this part of the haystack or focus on this job and do this well and do more deeper market penetration, like vertical SaaS versus horizontal SaaS. Like, oh, so now you're you, getting me fired up. This yeah, is like exactly. my, my true passion is sales, not advertising. But I just, as a salesperson, I just, sales, sales VPs who put pressure on marketing VPs are going in the wrong direction. They need to be knocking on the doors outside of the firm where marketing needs to build a moat around the business Mm-hmm. to give you more resilience in pricing yep. and resilience against competitors. Exactly. I mean, it's understanding the industry too and kind of keeping track. Like I always did the analogy of um, NFL teams or football teams where your your VPs or your people in leadership, as well as your, your people who are like your analysts and your data people should act as those of like looking at the top of the box. This is how you should move. Here's the play you should do. And sales folks and marketers, like sales folks should be like quarterback. This is the play. This is how we're going to run it. And, you know, marketers are like the offensive line, making sure that sales is not getting hit. Um, Go 49ers. Sorry, I exactly. had to sneak that in there. Um, I had to sneak that in there. In there um, just as your star running back, that's kind of the thing. You just need to know, like, in order to understand the play calls. And you're right. Like, I think the problem is, is the confusion of the play calls because leadership is got so much data noise that proper data flows haven't been set up or the right things that haven't been captured in order to make further decisions where they're like, they're lost. It's, it's like a, it's a massive, like we're always supposed to plug this in and this data flow in and we're supposed to get this data. We're supposed to stand up this tool and we're supposed to get this. And then, then you see tool or tool churn or is they go from one plat- major platform to the next major platform thinking it's going to fix the issues. And that's not what fixes the issues those platforms just help with better insights if you have the right sequences and the right processes and data. So yeah, we can go on a whole series of episodes on Converge Coffee with this, but 
for the sake of this time and everything, thank you for going through and articulate putting your story. Cause I, I love when people can bring complexity into a simplified form. This is, these are the steps that we've done. This is what are the results? So, so this part of the episode is about you. It's work, hobby, and health. The floor is yours in the sense of even if you think it's not like the most interesting, it might be inspiring to somebody else saying, hey, I'm going to give this a try or whatever that may be in your habits and making sure that you're recharging and you're bringing your best self into what you do. Oh, Lordy, nobody wants to hear about me. But one thing that I am committed to is self-transformation. We must transform ourselves before we're able to make an impact on our own businesses. So, I mean, people ask me all the time, like, what are your hobbies? I'm like, business is my hobby. I know that's boring, but I just love it. Business sales, how to be a better hustler, a better leader, a more compassionate person, a more compassionate person on your team. I just love learning about that. And so what I've done is intentionally create a group of friends who hold me to a higher standard. In that way, my go-to social events like going hiking or, you know, having a dinner, everyone there at that table shares that same value. And so you have a lot of efficiency and we're all talking about things that matter to our businesses. And I know that health is very, very important. I'm very focused on it, try to stay active. But really, you know, what drives me is you know that, you know, when you're on an airplane, they're like, put the mask on yourself and then help the person next to you. But the person next to me, my family, my friends, people who could really use an infusion of cash, like that's what I'm working for. And so I feel like I've put the mask on myself and now my job is to put the mask on others. I love that. I mean, simple, sweet to the point. And I, and I can see how you're, how you're operating your business of just growing it out and seeing how Seeing how things work and being very intentional, I think, and you're, and you're bringing the right people and the right people to work with you and to solve these problems. Sharon, this was, this was a very, it was a delight. Thank you so much for being Thank you, Sean. So, um, and to all the Converge coffee drinkers out there, that's a wrap. 